Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that we can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Today, I'm excited to welcome a new guest, Drew Dick. Drew is an editor at Moody Publishers and the former managing editor of Leadership Journal. He is the author of several books, including Your Future Self Will Thank You, and his new book we'll be discussing today, Just Show Up. Drew's work has been featured in Christianity Today, Relevant, and CNN.com. He lives with his wife, Grace, and their three children near Portland, Oregon. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you. You forgot the most important part of my bio. I'm Canadian. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. <laughs> no, that's not the most important part. That's it was bad. <laughs> I just had to get that out of the way. Get my Canadian hair. I've been, you I've gotta... been in the States, though, for 23 years now. So. Mm-hmm. I, I've lost a lot of Canadian street cred. When I go back up there, they say, they say I sound like a Southern politician. So wow. I've been Americanized. We have. Good. Well, that's, <laughs> uh, that's something to celebrate. No, I, I, I have never met a Canadian that I didn't like. So oh, See, we're, yeah. we're super nice people. Of course, I had to come down here, so I don't know what that means. But yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting. You know, yeah, Canadians have a reputation of being really nice and polite. Yes. And you now live in Portland, which has a reputation uh, kind of for the opposite. So being a little how, crazy. How does that yeah. work out? Well, you know the the motto here is keep Portland weird, and but I like to think I'm driving around in my minivan with my three kids. I'm keeping Portland normal, <laughs> which might be the new weird. That's true. You're Actually, right. I I am weird in, in, Portland. in Portland. When I go in the new weird, yeah, that's right. When I go downtown Portland in my minivan, I'm definitely the weird one. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should just send some more Canadians to Portland. That's that's what every. I think we need a Canadian in the White House. So I may run for <laughs> office. We'll see. All right. Well, good luck. Good yep. luck. Can I count uh, on your vote? Well. <laughs> Not, not so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I got to earn it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I can respect that. Um, I'm still uh, still supporting Kanye. <laughs> so you got to win my, <laughs> you have to win my allegiance. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, excited to have you on the show. I've been wanting to have you on for, uh, for a while now. Our conversation before this started with uh, an email I sent you three years ago. <laughs> that I just saw this morning. <laughs> so uh, so it's great to finally get to have you on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about your book called Just Show Up. Uh, but if you just want to introduce yourself a little bit uh, to our audience, uh, you are working right now as a writer, uh, publishing books. Uh, you're an editor at Moody Publishers, uh, which I know uh, from what I've learned, editing is a, a really, really glamorous job. Oh, yeah. So excited for you for that. Uh, but tell us about you know wh what led you to where you are today. Yeah, so I, um, I well, I started college in Canada, uh, dropped out, <laughs> moved down here. Thought I was coming for six months. Here I am, twenty some years later. But um, and and ended up going back to school. And I always always had these kind of vague aspirations to be a writer. I didn't know what that would look like, but mm -hmm. I got an English degree. Ended up going to seminary. Uh, stumbled into being an editor. That was kind of an accident. But I'd started to freelance write for a few for a few publications, including Christianity Today and others. Um, and, um, and then, yeah, I just always had this desire to write. And I think it was because for my own spiritual journey, 
I could think back to like critical junctures of my spiritual journey. And there were certain books that were really influential along that path. And so I kind of wanted to help do that for others as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I, I feel honored that I get to wake up and uh, edit books, write books, uh, because I do believe that God is still using the medium of the written word to change people. I hope so, even in our visually dominated time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I enjoy that, even though, like you said, it's not always the most glamorous, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sitting there wrestling words into submission on a long manuscript, um, hoping yeah. that someone reads this stuff. Uh, but no, I, I, I do enjoy it and I'm a word nerd. And I, another fun thing that I do is I correct people's spoken grammar. Um, and they don't always appreciate it, which is a mystery to me. They're in fact, sometimes downright annoyed, but. I feel like I'm fighting the good fight, so I'll keep yeah. doing that. Yeah, great. <laughs> so, so your new book is called "Just Show Up." Uh, tell us about the what's the big idea behind this book? I feel like you know it's one of those that the idea is in the title, uh, mm. but uh, but tell us what what does "Just Show Up" mean? Uh, what is the kind of uh, the the need that you, that that uh, you know gave you the impression and the inspiration to write this book? Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think it was born out of a, a bit of a midlife crisis, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm a much older, wiser man than you. Or, no, I'm, I'm, I'm older anyway. But yeah. um, I said I liked all the Canadians I met <laughs> until. This might be the. <laughs> I'm, I'm shattering all the, all the stereotypes here. Um, no, I, I was like kind of reflecting on when I was younger, when I was in my 20s going to seminary. Mm-hmm. And I remember back then I had these like big grandiose plans for what I was going to do for God. It was going to be like, I was going to go over seas as a missionary and get martyred. I don't know. Uh, you know, do something really bold and daring and dramatic. Um, I remember talking to my wife, Grace, and saying like, listen, we're not going to have the American dream. Like we're not going to move to the suburbs and, and you know, have 2.5 children and a white picket fence. We're going to do something different. And she was like totally on board with me. And then <laughs> here I am what, 18 years later, whatever it is. Um, and we have a mortgage and a minivan and we don't have 2.5 children. We have three. And then the question becomes, okay, like God, what do I do? Like when my life looks a little more ordinary than radical, what does faithfulness look like now? Right. How can I serve mm-hmm. God? Um, and I'm not complaining. My life is great. Right. Like yeah. I talked about, I love what I do. Um, I feel like I get to use my gifts in order to, to serve God and to help other people. Um, and yet when your life turns out a little differently than you thought, when that, that you envisioned when you're younger, you have to kind of think, okay, what does faithfulness look like? And I remember around that time too, Grace asked me like, who are the people you most admire? And I started to list some folks. Like one was this small church pastor who continued leading his congregation, despite having this really debilitating illness. Another was this woman who served in a soup kitchen and she kept feeding the homeless even after losing her husband. And I thought, why do I admire these people? They weren't famous. They weren't world changers. Um, Mm -hmm. I admire them because they're faithful. Right. Because they even after getting punched in the face, they kept showing up. They kept serving God. They kept coming back. Um, and I thought, man, that's what I want. Like, and, and that's ordinary faithfulness. Um, and so that kind of became a mantra for me. Like, just show up. Like, Drew, like when you're discouraged, when things are hard in your life, just keep doing that next step of obedience that you believe God is calling you to. And so that that was kind of the the kernel of the idea. And then I kind of applied that to all areas of life. Like, okay, how do you find your calling, right? It's like, okay, you just show up. You start doing what you feel mm-hmm. God's calling you to do, and then he directs you. Or spiritual disciplines, like, I'm just going to crack my Bible every day. Um, even if I 
even if I don't read a ton or pray for an hour or something like that, I'm just going to do these little small acts of faithfulness. So yeah, that was, that was the idea for the yeah. book. Um, and like a lot of books I was writing to myself primarily, <laughs> um, uh, and hopefully it's helpful for other people as well. Yeah, no, I think it is going to be extremely helpful for a lot of people because it's one of those things that on the surface is a really simple idea. Um, and seems almost too common sense to like need to write a book or read a book on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's one of those things that really does elude so many people in our, uh, and even ourselves, me included in our everyday life. We get caught up in these big grand visions or, or just these outrageous expectations that we place upon mm. ourselves or, or maybe that were given to us by someone from outside of ourselves um, that end up paralyzing us. Yeah. You know, I think about, um, there's this idea called the paradox of opportunity. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you may have read about that or heard about it, but just in, in our um, highly like globalized society that we live in today, where I can supposedly be anything, go anywhere, do anything that I want. Well, what actually ends up happening by all of that opportunity is I end up just being paralyzed by it. Oh yeah. You know, and, and yeah. not really doing anything. And so, so many people just like live out their lives without any intentionality. Hmm. Um, usually they live it out, um, uh, vicariously through other people or social media, uh, and they're missing out on like whatever God is putting right in front of them to do. And so this is Man, a message that's good. that you're yeah. talking about in the book that that's something that I've talked about with people in my church for the last 10 years, whenever they're either feeling stuck in life, contemplating a, a, a big decision or just wrestling with the idea of what is God calling me to do? It's like, well, what's right in front of you? <laughs> oh, that's good, man. You know, I, what, I hadn't what's heard the that. obvious thing that God's placing before you. Right. I wish you would have told me that before I wrote the book. I could have included that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Second no, that's edition. great. No. And, and I like what I talk about in the book that relates to that is um, this idea. And I got it from another author, Pete Davis is his name, but he talks about how we approach life kind of like we approach Netflix and he calls it infinite browsing mode, right? Where you just sit mm. there and you're like, you don't know what to watch. You don't want to commit to any one thing. And so you sit there, you know, uh, looking through all the shows for an hour, two hours, and then, oh, it's time to go to bed. Um, and he says a lot of people yeah. approach life like that because they don't want to decide on any one particular calling or um, commitment because it means closing the doors on a lot, a lot of other things. And he contrasts that with what he calls long haul heroes, you know, people who commit to a certain time and place and community and they dig in and those are the people ultimately who do have a great impact because yeah. you need to commit and man i would rather have one mission than a thousand choices and mm. it's hard because we live in a time where we have so many choices open to us and you're right it can paralyze you and and instead of kind of thinking about all the things you're missing out on i think yeah you're right you need to do the next thing that god's placed in front of you and commit to to Sometimes you need to narrow your focus a little bit. That's okay. That's good. Yeah, and I, I, that's another reason that I was interested in having you on to talk about this book in particular, because you know, so on the show, um, you know, this topic specifically is a little bit more uh, practical, practically focused than a lot of the other guests and topics we've had on. So the episode before this one is Neil Shinvi talking about critical theory. You know, oh like, yeah, a little bit Neil. different than. Yeah. A little bit different than, uh, than than just show up, but I think that it's important to include this in, uh, along with the other guests, other books we've had, uh, because uh, in our effort to interpret the culture that we're living in today, to understand it, live in it well, um, we got to do more than just thinking and play, put our thinking into action, you know. And so while we do a lot of thinking, I also want to uh, 
you know, address how do we put this stuff into action. And um, when we think big ideas, it can be difficult to translate those into everyday actions. And mm -hmm. so I think that, you know, talking about this uh, will help people to do that. In the first chapter of the book, first or second, you talk about plotting, which is a um, great, great idea, but one that's harder to put into practice, at least for me, it's been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I get excited about things and drop them. So can you talk to us about the importance of plotting when it comes yeah. to just showing up? Yeah, well, I'm in the same camp because I'm an aspiring plotter. You know, some people are like, man, that's what I do. I plot and, you know, it might take me a while, but I accomplish everything I, I set out to. I finish what I start. I wish I were more like that. So again, I was writing to myself, but I think it's powerful. And I talk about William Carey, the father of, of uh, modern missions. And he's got a great quote. I'm probably going to butcher it. I don't have it in front of me, but he says something about, I don't have any great talent, but I can plod. I can kind of see things through. And I love that because you think of like what that guy accomplished. He's incredible. He founded all these orphanages. He took the gospel to India. He translated the Bible into Sanskrit, all these amazing things. And yet, if you zoomed in on any one day of his life, you'd see a plotter, just some guy faithfully showing up every day. Um, and it, like when he was preaching, it took like, I think, six years before he got one convert, right? So, but he just faithful and consistent. And I think that's what's missing from a lot of people's lives, because I think it's especially challenging in our time too, because you go online, you look on Instagram, you see people blowing up and having this huge impact seemingly overnight. And it feels like everyone's doing that. And you're like, wow, what's going on with me, God? Like, did I miss the memo? I thought, um, I thought you're going to use me. I thought I was going to have an impact. Uh, and I mean, first of all, sometimes that social media stuff's an illusion that people are lying or exaggerating, or you're comparing your life to their highlights. Mm. Um, but yeah. furthermore, in general, how God uses people, and you see this all throughout scripture, is that those people that are the slow, steady plotters that continue to be faithful and obedient, even amid setbacks, even amid discouragement, even through hard seasons. And, you know, I talk about Moses in the book a lot, and I love his story because here's this guy. I mean, he had this, you know, good start with a fancy Egyptian education, and uh, he's going to be this liberator, he thought, and then he ends up in the wilderness for 40 years. and um, tending sheep. And yet I think that when I read that story, it, it doesn't say this explicitly in scripture, but I believe God was using that time in the wilderness to make him into the kind of leader that he was going to be. Um, he wasn't as articulate when he was done with that 40 years, but he, he was humbled. He learned how to be patient, how to lead sheep, which let, you know, prepared him to lead people. Mm -hmm. And I talked to a lot of people that like, that feel like God put them up on the shelf. You know, I've talked to mm. a few people where like, I, I just thought things were going to go differently. I thought I was going to be used by God. And I don't know, you know, when, when you're in the, and I've been in that season myself, um, and I don't know exactly, you know, what God is doing in those times, but I do know that he's often using what you're going through. First of all, he's using your faithfulness in those moments in and of themselves. Then he's also preparing you for the next season of life. And you may not even be able to envision what he's going to do with that. So what I encourage yeah. people to do, if you're in that season, stay faithful, keep plotting, um, God will use it. Yeah, even more in those seasons, it's important that you that you just show up and you do whatever those, you know, proper, appropriate next steps are that God has placed before you. Um, one thing that I've told people a lot whenever I'm uh, counseling or discipling is, uh, is, is, in the midst of all the unknown that you're wrestling through, because so often when you're going through a season of suffering, it's, it's the unknowns in life that are, that are causing the suffering, you know? Um, yep. 
And so I told him in the midst of all the unknown, like cling to the knowns that you have, mm. which are the character of God showed to us in scripture, the basic daily things that he has called you to do in your life and your relationship with him and in your, your home life, your work. Um, and that'll, that'll carry you through. You, you have a chapter specifically on, uh, suffering and just showing up even through periods of suffering. So I, I guess this would be a good point to segue mm. into that. So talk to us about just showing up even in the midst of suffering. Yeah. And that's when it's hardest, right? It's easy to show mm. up and do the right thing when life is going swimmingly. Um, yeah. But of course we all have suffering crash into our lives at some point or another. Um, and the hard thing is too, like if you're, I don't know, I, well, I shouldn't romanticize being single, but if you're like, if it's just you, maybe you can kind of like drop out and deal with your suffering for a while. But the, the hard thing is when you have, especially when you have kids, when you have a job, when you have responsibilities, when you have community that, that you're tied into and reliant upon you, checking out isn't an option. And sometimes you want to do that when you're suffering or when you're going through something really hard. Um, but usually you can't. And, and don't get me wrong. If you're suffering, you're, if you've gotten like a really bad diagnosis or you have clinical depression or something, sometimes you have to, you know, carve out the space to heal and, and get that time. But usually yeah. most of our suffering kind of falls in that gray zone between like totally devastating and just annoying. And you have to keep going. And, mm -hmm. um, and ultimately what I do is I go back to the example of Jesus, right? Here he is garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion, deeply distressed, looking at what's before him. And it says who, but who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And that's where joy is so important to realize that God's going to use this because, because Jesus, he had, he knew that it was hard, but he had trust in his father, right? That he was going to use what he was going through for the most amazing purpose ever. Um, but trusting that God is going to redeem your suffering. And like you said, you know, um, focusing on the things that you do know, you know, the character of God, you know, that God's sovereign. Uh, you know, God's going to use this and just as importantly that there's joy before you, that this mm. night isn't going to last forever. Right. And that's, that's what suffering tells you. It clouds your vision and you just go, this is permanent. I'm never going to feel normal again. I'm never going to have joy again. <laughs> um, mm. Especially when you've gone through something really hard. Um, yeah. That's a lie. And I think the enemy uses that lie to keep you discouraged and to make you give up. But if you can see that joy set before you and emulate Jesus's example of suffering, knowing that God's got your back. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think are some of the reasons, suffering being one of them that we just talked about, but what do you think are some of the reasons that people are either held back from showing up or quit showing up? Whether that oh. be reasons in our human nature, uh, in our culture, uh, what, what would be some of those things? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. There's a lot, a lot to say there. Um, I think the first thing for me too is it sometimes is a lack of faith because uh, you have to have faith to know that like, okay, maybe no one sees what I'm doing right now, my faithfulness, uh, the day-to-day -day stuff that I'm doing, but God does, right? So you have faith that God not only sees it, but he is a rewarder uh, mm. of, of faithfulness. Um, so even if no one else sees it, even if it doesn't get rewarded by people, uh, even if I never see the fruit of what I'm doing, uh, God ultimately will reward me. And so if you have that kind of bedrock confidence in God and his goodness and his plans for you, then you can keep trudging, right? Even when you're discouraged, you can kind of keep going. Um, 
And so that's why it's so important, especially if you're in a hard season, especially if you're suffering, to kind of nurture that vertical connection to God, make sure that that's strong, because that's what enables you to keep going, right? Sometimes, I mean, we live in the self-help world world where it's like, oh, no, you're strong enough. You're amazing. You can do this. You got this, girl. Um, so, And you're looking within yourself to try to muster the energy or the confidence yeah. or the whatever to, to keep trudging along. It's, that's not good enough. I know I'm not good enough. Uh, I know I'm, I'm faltering and fallible and finite. Uh, I need that connection to God and ultimately the confidence that, that he's got me in order to keep walking in the storm. Um, so that, that's the first thing I'd say is just, and then the other thing is to modify your expectations a little. I think, again, we live in a time where we expect things to happen automatically. Like you've seen those studies where they talk to 20 year olds and like, half of them think they're going to be famous by 30 <laughs> and you're like, wow. Um, and so we, and we expect big things to happen and to happen very quickly. So we need to go like, listen, if I'm going to be a plotter, it's got to be like, I've got to be satisfied with this incremental progress in my life um, that I'm not going to have a huge impact right away. But if I'm faithful over the long haul, God's going to use that in important ways uh, and, and kind of abandoning the outcomes to God. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Cause I think that, Maybe there there might be some people who would be, you know, have a tendency to look at the message of this book and say, well, you're just telling me to work harder <laughs> uh, and, and to see it as something that could be like just self-helpy, like you were uh, saying mm-hmm. before. Um, and so that, that I was wanting to talk about, like, how do we incorporate our walk with God and, and our faith? How does that drive just showing up? Is there more that you want to add to that? Yeah. Well, and and to the the point, and it's a good one, because with a topic like this, it's easy to kind of fall into a legalistic uh, frame of mind where it's like, no, look, you have to do, 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 even if it's just like, okay, steady doing. Um, so first of all, we need to be empowered by God to do that. Again, to the point of keeping that connection with God strong, because the Christian life, it, it, you can't white knuckle it and do it all yourself um, on your own power. You need divine empowerment, right? Um, yeah, I mean, the Christian life is impossible to live on, on your own. Um, and then, um, and then knowing that God, there's grace for you when you fail, which you inevitably will. Right. Um, but also I try like, when it comes to like, oh man, that sounds hard in the book. I, I talk a lot about this. I'm really trying to lower the bar and not in a bad way. That sounds bad, but I'm trying to lower the bar. Like, okay, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, you know, people are like, I talk to so many people like, I'm going to read through the Bible every year. Uh, I'm going to like memorize a ton of scripture. Um, I talked to one guy, I remember a buddy of mine who's like, I don't know what's wrong, Drew. Like I'm, I'm trying to read the Bible for two hours every day, but I can never seem to do it. And I'm like, what are you talking You've got like four kids and <laughs> one and a half jobs. And like, you're not, that's not going to happen, man. Um, yeah. So what I'm trying to do is like lower the bar and just be like, hey, listen, if you just crack open your Bible every day, that's huge. That's huge. Even if you only read a Psalm or something or a few verses, um, if you just start every day with prayer, even if it's like a short prayer, okay, that's massive. If you're helping, like if you're showing up for people, like just bringing someone a meal once in a while when they're sick. I mean, those things are huge. And the thing is, okay, it doesn't stay there, but that's the beauty of it. Once you've established that as a rhythm in your life where you're cracking open the Bible every day and it feels weird not to, then what happens is like, oh, you hit a groove and all of a sudden you read, you know, a chapter or two. And you're getting more into the word, but it's that reg, just like physical nourishment. Like we need it consistently. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I'm actually trying to lower the bar and like, Hey, be content with modest progress, uh, spiritual incrementalism, just do the next little thing and, and let God grow those habits in your life. 
Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people might be surprised that you say like lowering the bar. Oh my goodness, you know, how can you be telling me that? Because we're so used to hearing like, no, you got to raise the bar, higher the bar, bigger vision, bigger goals, and, and so on. Um, and I think that people are more attracted to that, not just because, you know, it can be inspiring, um, but also because I think it kind of strokes your ego to, yeah. to think that like, oh, I could do, I could do more. I, I'm, uh, I can do more than I'm, than I'm doing now, or I, what I even think I should be doing now. And it's really an act of humility and working on pride. That's something that, that I've learned with myself and working with others is it takes a lot of humility to say, no, actually I need to start here <laughs> i need to start with, <laughs> right. with one chapter a day with one yeah. psalm a, a day whatever else it is you know 10 minutes of prayer five minutes of prayer i gotta start right where i'm at and uh just trust in god's timeline to grow me and not my what my ego would like for my timeline to be and you know what something that i'm not hmm. and uh so yeah I, it, it's a humbling word but i think that it's something that uh a lot of us <laughs> should maybe uh, take a good consideration to is maybe we should lower the bar a little mm -hmm. bit. You have a chapter in the book uh, on playing your role uh, that everyone needs you to be. Can you talk about that one? Yeah, I, you know, I, I had a bit of an axe to grind. I feel like in this day and age, we, we put too high a premium on authenticity. And, and listen, I, it's good to be authentic to a degree. <laughs> but sometimes that actually like can con like conflict with the role that you're supposed to play for other people. Um, and here's an example of it. I, um, without naming any names, but uh, at one point in our lives, my, my wife, Grace, had had this minor surgery. We're in the hospital. And um, one of the pastors from the church that we were at at the time shows up for us, which is great, uh, to visit us. But I remember he, he comes into the room. He plops down in a chair beside my wife's bed, doesn't even look at her. And he's like, man, things aren't going so well at the church. I, he's like, I don't know if I'm cut out for ministry. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's usually in a bad place, obviously, right? Which I, I understand. But, Whew, man. Um, and he just started kind of unloading all these problems he was having personally. And he's like, you know. And I was like, dude, like, okay, what we needed in that moment was a man of God. We needed someone to show up for us, pray over us, like reassure us. Yeah. And, and everything turned out fine. Um, and I would have been happy to have that conversation with him, like, in a different context. And I realized, man, sometimes... I realized, not just pastors, all of us, we need to kind of shelve our feelings, sounds bad, what we're going through at the moment, and play the role that we are inhabiting at that moment for the people in front of us, right? Because mm -hmm. you're not always going to feel it. You're not always going to, you know, um, and yet I think that's a good word because because we are so in love with our feelings and thinking like, well, is it really authentic to like, to like, you know, I don't know, get up and pray for people when I'm not feeling especially spiritual, right? Um and I'd say, yeah, do it because those roles can be good. Not all roles are good, but I mean, listen, if, if you're a, if you're a, a husband, okay, that's a role. Uh, even if you're not feeling romantic towards your spouse, you should probably act romantically towards your spouse because that's going to be good for your relationship long-term. You, you mm. may not always feel like loving your kids, but you should do that because it's part of the role. And so those roles are important and God uses those, I think, to shape us and to help us, um, to, to lead other people and to, to bless others. So. Yeah, that was my little pet peeve that I got off my chest in the book, but I think it's important. Yeah, no, that's really good. And that's one of the ways that you can discover what is your next step supposed to be. Well, just look at what roles has God given me in my life and, uh, and, and, and say, so what ought I to do to fulfill those roles? And then boom, there's your next step. And yeah, that's such a good point. You know, like 
just as an easy example, as a parent, there's a lot of times that you should not be your authentic self with your kids <laughs> because your authentic My whole life self... as a parent is being inauthentic. Like Grace will be like, what do you want to do today? And I'm like, that is totally immaterial. There's no way we're going to do what I want to do today. We're going to yeah. do, we're going to go to like Chuck E. Cheese or something. I mean, yeah, no, really. So uh, my birthday was yesterday. Uh, we're, so we're recording on a Monday and uh, my birthday was yesterday. So over this weekend and for my birthday, we took the kids to Sky Zone which is no. like something for them. You know? Is that the trampoline place? Yeah. Yeah. The yes. trampoline park. Yeah, I've almost which, killed myself that, that place. But anyway, well, that, that's why I don't jump with them. I just watch because I <laughs> I'm terrified of, I, I know like at least two or three dads who have gone there and torn an ACL or hundred percent. It's always else. the dads that just jack up their bodies. Yep. Yeah. So I, <laughs> so I just watch them and I mean, I have fun too. And you know, sometimes they'll let me like throw them into the foam pit and all, but yeah, uh, but yeah anyway, there's a lot of times that you like should not be your authentic self, um, as a parent. And, uh, and yeah, that, that, that's good that, um, that, yeah, you know, God is calling us to, uh, to obey the roles, uh, in the responsibilities that come along with those roles. Uh, in our life and that uh you know sometimes even wherever you start acting in the role that you don't feel like it the feelings tend to follow yes such an important point absolutely yeah it's what's yeah. the i think that's a peterson eugene peterson quote you can uh act yourself into a new way of feeling much quicker than you can feel yourself into a new way of acting mm. uh, which is so so true man i mean i think of like church how many times i show up on a sunday morning and i'm not feeling it at all because I've had to get three kids ready and we drove 30 minutes and, and I'm just miserable and I'm tired. And then all of a sudden I start singing and first song I'm kind of mumbling, but then all of a sudden I'm into it and you're worshiping God and you're like, wow, this is great. Right. But it would have yeah. never happened had you not actually gotten your butt to church. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You actually have a chapter called show up to church. Yes. And you forgot the subtitle though. Even if you're late, which pastors oh, hate. That's good. Which <laughs> I had one well, pastor who's like, oh no, no, no. I hate that when people are late for church. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just one of those things where you have to accept reality. And so yeah. like down here, I'm in Cajun country and uh, Cajuns do not have a sense of punctuality. <laughs> it's kind of similar to like Hispanic culture. You know, if you've ever yes. been, uh, been on a mission trip somewhere, um, it's like the, the start time is kind of like a roundabout start time. Yeah, you suggestion. Know? And so it's like, yeah. Yeah, within an hour. <laughs> and so, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's the way it is, you know, um, like, couple minutes before our service starts it's empty and then mm. like one or two songs into the worship service and you know we got a crowd <laughs> yep <laughs> that's yeah. just the way it goes but yeah so okay all right tell us about show up to church <laughs> even when you're yeah. late why even if you're late well i mean first of all i mean if you're showing up for church period that's pretty cool because and you know the stats i'm sure church attendance has gone through the toilet like especially after the pandemic like a generation ago an active church uh, participant would be defined as someone who showed up like three or four times a month. Now it's like one or two times. Hmm. And you can, I don't know, there's secularization, there's Sunday soccer, all the reasons. But the end result is that people are not coming as much. Um, and I'm not like, hopefully in the book, in that chapter, I didn't come across as like finger pointy or browbeating people um, because I get it. It's hard to get to church. But man, what a blessing when you do because you need, you need that fellowship. You really do. Um, and, you know, scripture says, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Um, but instead, you know, you're, you're meeting together to stir, you know, each other to what is it? Love and good works. Right. Um, and so that is just an essential part of being 
part of the body of Christ. And then, of course, there are people there that need you, too. And so when you show up, you never know who you're going to be able to speak into their lives or bless them. Um, and there's just something that happens when you get, gather corporately. So my encouragement is like, man, even if you're late, like at least you got there. That's great. Um, and like I said, like, it, especially at, you know, the stage of life when you're raising kids and stuff, it's hard. I get it. Yeah. I love what uh, Dean and Sarah, a buddy of mine says, pastor in Florida. He says, uh, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. Am I butchering that? Something like that. Anyway, mm -hmm. the idea is if you don't decide on Saturday night, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> That's yeah. so true. Like a couple times when we were like, okay, are we going to be able to make a church, you know, tomorrow we got all this going on and blah, 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 blah. Okay. We'll see in the morning. Right. And then it's like, oh no. And then you like, maybe yeah. someone slept in or like you get going too late and then it, it just doesn't happen. But if you can make that commitment, like, okay, we're going to do this like when we can, at least, um, it's huge. I never, I never regret it when I do show up. It's just always, always such a blessing. So, um, I hope that we see more people getting serious about it. Um, and just plugging in. Cause you just need that touch point. Like, I mean, there was one time during the pandemic sounds terrible, but I was like, I said to my wife, I'm like, I don't even feel like a Christian right now. Like I, I cause I hadn't been to church in so long and we had the online thing. Right. But getting kids to look at a laptop, like good luck. Right. Um, but, um, you miss it. You need that. And yeah. you need to be reminded of why you believe what you believe. You need to sing the songs. You need the fellowship. Um, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then you live in Portland. So I mean, how long were the churches closed down mm. in your area? Quite a while. I mean, ours was, you know, we tried, I mean, I don't know exactly how long we had, but yeah, the government was like pretty, um, serious about it even compared to other areas of the country um yeah. and i know it's it's funny because i remember like in the middle of the pandemic i traveled to somewhere in the south and and i remember coming to the hotel and i'm like do i need a mask and they're like ah it's the south you know it's like a totally <laughs> different mentality whereas here it's like people are jogging with their masks on right still yeah <laughs> so it was yeah. pretty it was pretty and i don't envy pastors that was a tough one man because they're like okay what do we do here like do we open obey these mandates or do we defy them and stand up and it was and you know you get people that are mad on both sides and stuff but anyway yeah, yeah the net effect for a lot of churches is that they weren't meeting and i'm sorry i love the live stream like and we're on a podcast right now so i understand the irony but these are good things thank god for these tools but there's nothing like gathering physically yeah with brothers and sisters in christ you just can't replace that yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, you can't. Church is embodied is it's online. Church is really a, a misnomer. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not church. Church nope. is something that is done embodied. And, and so it's good to have those tools for extreme circumstances, but, um, but they're, they should, they ought to be temporary replacements. Yeah. That's well um, said, or they, or to use them to ultimately drive people to a physical gathering, right? If it's used yeah. in that way, great. But if it's like an end in and of itself, yeah, it's not quite the same. Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard this uh, Tim Keller sermon a, a long time ago, and I can't remember what sermon it was, but I just this one statement has always stuck with me. He was talking about uh, in Isaiah, oh, I can't remember what chapter, I'm terrible with numbers, uh, but in, in I, that famous part at the beginning of Isaiah, whenever he has a vision of the throne room of God oh, and yeah. the angels declaring, Isaiah holy, seven, holy, holy. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those in the first few chapters. And so Keller's talking about that, and he points out that it starts with Isaiah saying, so he went to the sanctuary, mm. like he went to church. And yep. Ke Keller said, can you imagine if he would have skipped church that day? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you know, so he just pointed out, like, like, don't skip church. You don't know what God has uh, in plan for you. 
And, Although I don't uh, know, man, that 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 was a unpleasant experience for him in many ways, though. <laughs> he didn't fall, at, 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 you know, down as though dead, and said, "Whoa, whoa, is me?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a little uncomfortable at first. A little uncomfortable, but important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. So just show up at church too. Um, the Lord has a blessing for you, and He might have um, the blessings for you to uh, share with others as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, you know, your book is super practical. You've got uh, a lot of chapters in here um, that that uh, are are easy to apply to life. Things like just crack open your Bible, you know, even when you don't feel like it, um, and, uh, and and so on. Um, I think there's an interesting inclusion here in the book that I was wanting to get into a little bit more, which is on. Uh, let's see, what's the way you put it? You said uh, let something slide, and uh, yeah. In a book about just showing up, you include a chapter on uh, when not to show up. And so I thought, I thought that's an interesting idea. And so how do we discern when not to show up? Or in other words, how do we discern mm -hmm. when to show up and when to let something slide? Yeah, and that's the hard question, right? What mm -hmm. do you let slide? Um, but first of all, I think it's just important that you, that you do designate certain things, activities, commitments, whatever, that you're not going to do. Because if you're going to show up for the important things... Um, you can't do everything, right? So you can't show up for everything. Um, and that's hard to admit. Like you were saying earlier, it's like a pride swallowing thing, right? When you go, okay, I am, I'm finite. I don't have enough time or enough talent or whatever it is to do all these things or to do them well. And admitting that, and I think it's a good thing. It's a tonic for your soul to go, okay, God's infinite. I'm finite. I can only do a certain amount of things. I'm not going to do everything perfectly this year. I'm not going to just kill it in every area. And so once you get that off the table, then you go, okay, now what are the areas in my life where I can scale back a little bit so that I can be present for my kids, say, for the calling God's placed on my life, for um, whatever it is that, that you need to show up for. And that's a real tough discernment process. First of all, you need community. You need the body of Christ to help you. Um, you don't want to navigate these things alone. Um, and then, of course, if you, like I asked my wife, it's great when you have a spouse, someone who knows you very well, someone who isn't you, so has a little bit of objectivity when they look at your life and asking them like, hey, what what thing can I kind of get off my plate this year? Um, and then, of course, prayer, you know, asking God to lead you. And then a question I ask myself when I'm considering something, it's like, okay, this commitment. Um if I dropped it, what would be my primary emotion? Would it be sadness or relief? And if it's relief, that's often a sign that maybe I should, right? And again, I'm not talking about like, oh, should I be a, a father this year? <laughs> I mean, there are certain things you cannot. <laughs> should, how about my job? Should I do my job? You know, okay, I got to do my job. Um, yeah, but yeah, we you know how it is. You got all these sidelines yeah. and, and and commitments and like, oh man, I I want to um, you know coach my son's basketball, and they're good things often, right? Or um, this person wants me to join this group or whatever it is. Um, if you can kind of put that litmus test and go, man, if it's, if it's a relief to get rid of it, maybe that means I should so that I can focus on the things that God's calling me to show up for. And the silly example I use in the book is my yard, which I can see right now. It's well, it's actually pretty green right now because it's been raining a lot, but usually it's all blotchy and brown and gross. And for like years, I was like, oh man, we need to like resod it or reseed it and we'll have this perfect yard. But then the kids are always digging in it and it's like, there's always a bicycle or two parked on it. And all of a sudden I realized, you know what? It's going to take way too much time and attention and money to make this a perfect yard right now. And in this season of life, it ain't a priority. I got too much going on. I got a demanding career. I got kids. I got community. I got church. 
you know what? I'm going to have a crappy yard for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I'm going to let that slide. So you got to kind of figure out what that is in your life. And, uh, and it's tough, especially for people that have that kind of perfectionistic thing, right? It's like, man, that's tough, but ultimately you're better off for it. Yeah. Yeah. I like to joke around with people and say that I have the spiritual gift of saying no, um, <laughs> nice. which, which works well in our marriage because my wife is the other way around. She's terrible yeah. at saying no. So she makes me say yes whenever I need to. And I want to say no. And then also vice versa. She'll like ask me, should I do this or not? Knowing that I'm going to say no so that she can then say Aaron said no. There you so, go. You're the bad, you're the bad guy. Yeah. I love but, it. Uh, but no, it, but it's, it, it's a great application for life. Um, uh, a friend, well, I, I think he's a mutual friend of ours, Alan Briggs. Oh yeah. Uh, he's sure. a good friend of mine. He, he yeah. says, you know, what do you need to say no to? So you can say yes to something else. Yeah, that's well said. Yep. And I don't think we, we ask ourselves that question often enough because it's usually just more yes, 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 yes. Yep. And then our lives get cluttered with all kinds of activities and commitments that, that may be good. Th this is something else from him that may be good things, but they're not best right now. Yep. You know, no, so looking at your life for people in ministry, I think, because you a lot yes. of people pleasers. It sounds like yes. you've escaped that trap, but there's yeah, a lot of people pleasers that go into ministry. They want to help people and stuff. And then they just say yes to everything. But of course yeah. you can't do everything. Yeah. Well, and, and everything that you're asked to do, whether it be like in the church or ministry opportunities outside the church and, you know, other volunteering, uh, leadership, volunteering uh, opportunities, you're asked to do a lot of good things. So right. many good things. Uh, but that's why it's important to say this might be a good thing, but just not the best right yep. now or not that's the best for me right now. And so, yeah, right. yeah, often, so ask yourself, what do I need to start saying no to so I can say yes to something better? So we'll do, to put it in the, in the terms of your book, what do I need to let slide so that I can show up to the right things in this season? And it's funny because people think like, oh, well, it's easy if, if, to determine what I should and shouldn't do because they're thinking of like, should I go and do, like blow my life up by doing some drugs or having an affair? Well, <laughs> that's usually not the decision, right? Those things are easy to see. I mean, yeah. listen, there's still temptations, I guess, but you know, it's pretty black and white, right? You shouldn't be doing those things. But the, like you said, it's the real tough thing is when you're choosing the best from among the merely good, you know, mm -hmm. or, or, or there's a seasonality kind of consideration, like maybe this is something that would be amazing to do, but in this season of life, I can't. Um, so that's where you need wisdom and, 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 you know, people speaking into your life and the leading of the spirit too, to, to make wise decisions. Yeah. That's something else I've been thinking about uh, a lot lately is the importance of recognizing seasons. Hmm. So what do you think? True. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what do you think? Uh, how does that apply to, to just showing up? Is that something that, um, you know, how do we discern what season we're in and, you know, mm. how does that change and affect, um, you know, our showing up to things? Yeah. Well, I think the se seasons of your life change your role too, right? Like, as you kind of start off and, and the thing you need to show up for is like, okay, I'm trying to find my calling. Like you're trying to feel this out, right? Like, okay, where do I go to college? Do I go to college? Who should I marry? What should I do for a career? Right. So you're getting all these things coming at you and that's, and, and not to say that you shouldn't be thinking of others more, but there's a lot going on in your life at that stage. And they're really big decisions that are going to like have a huge impact. Um, whereas when you get into a later stage, like my age or older and you kind of like, Hey, you know, I want to really speak in other people's lives and give back to use the cliche or whatever, uh, be an elder statesman of sorts. Um, then the, the role changes and then it's really important that you're looking around and going, where are the needs that I need to fill? 
Um, and actually, that's important for any sort of question, even if, when it's about calling, because you look at the needs and that's kind of often what leads you. Um, so yeah, I think it changes, but it's always, you know, it's, it's the same sort of thing. Like I talk in the, in the book about the two callings every Christian has, right? There's the common calling and the particular calling. The common calling is just, you know, obeying the commands of the Bible, right? You're loving the Lord, your God and your neighbor as yourself. Uh, if someone comes and goes, you know what, that's not really my calling. I'm not really into the whole loving loving my neighbor. Uh, well, sorry, buddy. Like that's, that's every Christian's calling, right? Yeah. Then there's the particular calling. What am I going to specifically do? Or like, where should I live? What should I do? Um, and, and the, the, the point I make in the book, and it's not a mind blowing <laughs> insight or anything, but that the answer often to the particular calling comes out of your obedience to the common calling, mm -hmm. right? As you love God, as you serve people, God reveals his will, his particular will for your life. And so just being sure that you're not getting weird and trying to solve riddles about what's next or what you should be doing instead. And listen, I'm not negating the fact that God can miraculously show up and guide you, okay? But usually, in my experience, it's been as I obey him, then he directs my steps. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what I encourage people to do, regardless of what season you're in. Yeah, that's good. As we come to the uh, close to the end of our time here, why don't you give us one last word to someone who's listening to this and uh, maybe they are recognizing that there are some areas in life that they need to just start showing up, whether that be in their family life, work life, uh, church, being more involved, engaged, serving, whatever else it is, but maybe they feel held back by either fear, maybe some shame, anxiety, um, or, uh, or just not knowing where to start. What would be kind of the last word of encouragement you give our audience before we go? Well, first of all, I get it. Like I've so often kind of felt insecurity, anxiety, especially when it comes to doing something new, you know, adopting a new role, uh, stepping into a new role. Um, and cause you think, well, I'm not really adequate. I don't have the training. I don't have the credentials, whatever it is. And here's the good news. You're right. You don't have you're not sufficient to the task, probably, for what God's called you to do. Yeah. <laughs> but as soon as you acknowledge that, there's a freedom in it, too. Um, because the good news is, and this is all throughout Scripture, you know, you see so many reluctant leaders in Scripture, mm. from Gideon mm -hmm. to Moses to whomever. Um, and God's like, listen, I don't care. I love it when Moses says to God, um, I, you know, I'm slow of speech. I, I'm sorry, this is not the, you got the wrong guy for this. And, and God, what does God say? He doesn't say, no, you're an awesome speaker. He says, who made? men's tongues. You know what I mean? I'm the one who made people able to talk. What are you talking about? I'm going to be with you. Yeah. And so that's, that's a real freedom when you realize that your ability to do what God's calling you to do doesn't rest on your, your abilities, your competence, you know, um, and that's, that's great news. Cause we go, okay, I'm going to step out in faith knowing that God's going to take my faltering efforts and he's going to use that for his kingdom. And as soon as you kind of get that attitude, man, and then it's an act of faith. You step into that, even if you're not fully prepared. And I'm not saying, listen, you prepare as much as you can, whatever, right? But you're never going to feel, you're going to always probably have imposter syndrome. You know, that phenomenon where you're just like, oh, I'm a phony. I really, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. Um, but do it anyway and see what God does. That's the essence of faith. Um, because God, God expects that faithfulness. It's not that he can't work without you, but he chooses to work through your, through your obedience. So yeah, take the first step. I think you'll be delighted with what happens. Uh, and even if you're not sure, but you're kind of feeling a faint tug towards a new role or you see a need that you're moved by, step into it and see what God's going to do. That's good. That's great. Well, I'm ready to just show up. 
<laughs> awesome. <Okay. Nope. laughs> Great. So once again, that's the name of the book, guys. If you're interested in it, I will have it linked in the show notes. So just go to the description down below, whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on podcasts to go to the show notes and I'll have the book linked there. I'll also uh, link to where you can find Drew. If you want to be able to keep up with him, Drew, uh, what's the best place for people to go to uh, to stay in touch with you? Yeah. So I, uh, I, let me see. Oh, my website. Yeah. Just my name, Drew Dick. It's D Y C K, uh, com, And you can, you know, read a free chapter from the book and see some cheesy pictures of me and my family. Um, I spent too much time on Twitter or whatever it's called now, x.com. Um, so you can connect with me there. Or if you're in the Pacific Northwest, drop by, just show up there. See, I, I plugged, brought it yep. around, just show up in person and we'll grab a coffee. Yeah. Uh, you have a TikTok. You do TikTok dances. <laughs> Not yet, but I think I would kill no. it on TikTok. So, yeah. I can't dance, unfortunately, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, it's been great to have you on, Drew. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. It's been helpful to me, and I know that this conversation, as well as your book, is going to be really helpful to uh, those in the audience who go and pick up a copy. I highly recommend it, guys. Go get yourself a copy, uh, share with your friends, read it with uh, other people uh, so that all you guys can talk about and encourage one another to uh, just start showing up in the areas that God is calling you. So, Drew, thank you for coming on Filter today. Hey, thank you. It has been a pleasure. 